a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And for you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I am Maria Chaleos. I am here with Governor Spencer Cox and Mrs. Cox. Abby Cox is in studio with us today as well, and welcome to both of you. Thank you, Maria. We're excited to be here. Abby decided to just hang out with me today, which has been kind of fun. I love it. We'll talk to you about some of your initiatives in just a minute here. Sounds good. Governor, it's a beautiful day, so it's hard to talk about anything weather-related, but I want to start out. We've just had such a difference in weather we've gone from a drought now to just a ton of water at once and so i'm wondering what steps the state has taken in preparation of any flooding sure yeah it's it's really incredible maria to to see yesterday we broke the record for the most of water equivalent of snow on on the ground on march 15th so in 83 we we got higher than that but not until later it was april may when when we got higher than we are now and we have a big storm coming next week bigger than the one that we had this week at least that's what they're uh they're they're looking at now and and so we've been working really closely our our department of emergency management has been reaching out to counties who coordinate with their local cities on on flood preparations uh, i i know it, it, several places in cache valley they've already been filling sandbags uh, of course yesterday uh washington county with all the rain on top of the snow came down very quickly and, and we saw the santa clara river cresting its banks. It was projected to flood at, at about the 14 foot level and it hit 17 feet last night, which was unexpected to get that high yesterday. We know that uh, Southgate Golf Course, the, the, the front nine is going to be closed for a long time mm-hmm. that, and, and there's, there's definitely been some property damage, but nothing severe yet because of the preparation that's been taking place. But we, so, so there's, there's kind of the, the, the bigger piece of this that cities and counties are, and the state are working on. Um, every individual homeowner needs to be careful as well because what we have seen so far is, is extremely localized flooding. And, and what, what happens generally is there's still snow on the ground or snow on your roof and rain comes on top of that. It melts very quickly and you've got a lot of water coming down very fast. And then your, your drain pipes are frozen over and there's nowhere for the water to go and it ends up in your window well and then in your basement. And so we have seen some of that. And so homeowners just need to look around, be careful, try to get snow away from the house as much as possible. Make sure that your drains aren't plugged, that there's a place for it to go. We did just make a big announcement. We are giving all state employees eight hours of, of leave to uh, help with flood mitigation efforts. So when your county needs it, when they need sandbags, um, we have 23,000 state employees that can jump in and help out. I know things are a lot different infrastructure wise than they were in 1983 with the State Street River. 
Yeah. Are we ever going to use those pumps out of the Great Salt Lake? I mean, everybody knows the <laughs> level so. of the lake is so low, but yeah, is there a chance we could use those pumps? Not for a while. Um, we're we're a long ways from from that. I, I will say that we do we do keep the pumps running every year. We go out and test them, make sure that they're they they can they can work. But we're so far down. Basically, we need ten feet of water just to get back to average lake level over the past one hundred years. I, I will say that the lake is never at the average lake level. It's never close to average. It's always above or below, and we've been below for a long time. Um, so we we're up two feet. Uh, last year uh, in the spring runoff, we only went up a foot the the whole year. That's as high as we got, and then started declining. So to be up two feet already is remarkable because the snow hasn't even started to come down yet. Uh, some of the best estimates are that we'll get up to five feet, um, so halfway back to the average lake level. So we're going to need a couple years of this. I, I like to remind people that the pumps were put in in '84. We had '82, which was as big as this year. Um, maybe a little bigger, depending on how we finish out. 83, which was ended up being the biggest year ever. And 84 was almost identical to 83. So if you have three years of that, where the lake is going up, you know, seven, eight feet each each year, that's how you end up uh, needing the pumps. And so if we have three years like this, uh, we may have to start looking at it again. There's huge concern around the level of the lake, the yeah. low level of the lake. And yesterday, I know that you were deeply appreciative to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for their contribution, their water shares that will help the lake. But is that really going to be enough? You talked about how many years it's going to take to really get it to where it needs to be. Yeah. Are you concerned that people are going to just sit back now and go, hey, I can just water whenever I want? Yeah, I'm, I'm not concerned. And, and the reason I'm not concerned is m- many of the, uh, the, the the new laws that we put into place are are permanent. They're, they're not, you know, one-offs. And so, yes, there's a conservation piece to this for sure. Uh, but, but again, some of these are w- w- changes in the law about when you actually start watering your lawns. And every conservation district has to follow those. So we will be conserving more. And, and our encouragement, and, and again, you're not hearing anybody in leadership saying, oh, we don't have to worry about it this year. It's the exact opposite. It's, hey, we have a good year. Let's take advantage of it. Let's get more of that water into Lake Powell. Let's get more of that water into the Great Salt Lake. And we do that by everybody using less and 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 so i think you'll you'll see a renewed push uh to to conserve this year like we did the last two years we've proven we can do this we uh we have uh, additional funding this year for ag optimization that that the the ag community is taking advantage of we have additional funding for turf buyback programs for people to to swap their turf out for waterwise landscaping. We have new regulations around new housing in, in water districts where they, they, they are using waterwise landscaping now where they weren't before. Uh, we prohibit now uh, any of our, um, uh, of our homeowners associations from, from stopping people from putting in waterwise landscaping. So all of these things are adding up over time. And it just means that in a good year, we'll get more water to the lake. And in a bad year, we uh, will have more water to use when we need it. A lot of people concerned about the banking crisis and the Silicon Valley Bank um, collapse. I'll just call it a collapse. So, Governor, last week I saw a tweet from you. You were concerned because we have companies in Utah who are definitely impacted by Silicon Valley Bank. What is the situation now? What have you heard from them? Are they going to be made whole? Are 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 the companies here in Utah going to be um, healthy? Yeah, yeah, great news um, all, all around. Uh, that first of all, I have to say that there should not have been a run on the Silicon Valley Bank. It, it was not in trouble in any 
normal sense of the word. They, they, they did have some long-term investments, but these weren't risky investments like what was happening back in 2007, 2008, 2009. These were actually some of the most stable investments you could make. These were their U.S. Treasuries. But because of the, the rise uh, in, in interest rates by the Fed, the value of those over time went down because short-term you can make more money on, on, on those investments instead of waiting 10 years. So these were not risky investments. In fact, they were very safe and stable investments. But uh, when, you, when you combine that, the changing interest rates, and then social media, this crazy world we live in, where at a moment's notice, a few people can get nervous, and then everybody kind of buys into the hysteria, and then everybody's pulling their money out. And suddenly, a bank that was pretty well capitalized, um, and again, they, they, they did have a skewed investment structure, which was a mistake, but not a huge mistake, not a mistake that should have caused them to fail, uh, led to this. And, and so I, I, I feel very confident about where we are now. Um, we, we believe and, and, and have been told that with the changes that were made by the FDIC and the Secretary of the Treasury, uh, that those depositors will be made whole. And that's good because there were about, we estimated about 300 companies that would not have been able to make payroll next week. And, and, and so the trickle down effect from that are tens of thousands of employees who then don't get paid this week and and not because there was risky behavior there and, and that's really important the people who were executives in that bank the people who held equity in that bank they should lose everything we, we should not bail them out those are the risks you take when you invest in banks um the the fact that this happened to uh to, to again people who just had checking accounts and savings accounts uh, i i understand the the fdic insurance limit but but this is is an overall net positive and it helps with with banks everywhere else. Uh, again, we have Zions Bank. We have we, this surprises people. Uh, we are the thirtieth uh, largest state in the country, and yet we have the sixth largest banking sector, finance sector. So, banking is really important to to our state, and um, they are in much better shape than than SVB. And uh, we we don't anticipate any problems moving forward with those banks. Has there been a backup plan? Is has someone else stepped forward to help? Yeah, so the, uh, the, again, the, the federal plan that was put into place, uh, it will, will help. We were meeting over the weekend, and, and this is the cool thing about Utah. I, I just have to say, I, I, I feel so lucky to be here and, and, and to be in this position in such a great state because over the weekend, uh, it was our, it was our son's wedding and we were able to get through that and everybody and was great. And then you had a banking us. crisis. And then it was, yeah, it was well, banking oh. crisis. That night, uh, after the wedding, I was working on this until late in the night. The next night, 10 o'clock Saturday night, speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, uh, members of Utah's banking community, uh, some of our venture capital groups, entrepreneurs, uh, Silicon Slopes, we're all meeting together to figure out, is there something we can do with our local banks? And we were talking about ideas, you know, could Zions Bank and, and some of the others, could they give a short-term loan so companies can make payroll, knowing that it may take a couple of weeks for the FDIC to get them their money back, and then they could just pay Zions back, so that that uh, that employees weren't suffering. Those were the types of things we were working on. We we never got to a final conclusion because the FDIC stepped up and, and figured things out. Okay, so Zions didn't have to come up with the, the payroll for all of these. Companies. They did not, but the fact that they were at the table and willing to have those conversations just shows how lucky we are to live in a state where we care about each other. All right, so many questions, so little time. I know our listeners have. Have questions as well. The number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, 
I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let, Let Me, Me Speak, Speak to, to the, the governor. governor on KSL News Radio. And good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Spencer Cox and the First Lady Abby Cox, also in studio with us this afternoon. You can ask them both questions. Let's go right to our phone lines now. Aaron is on the line in West Jordan. And Aaron, what was your question? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, good afternoon, Governor Cox, First Lady Cox. Um, just wanted to ask about film incentives. I know um, they were like $8 million and change, and then they got boosted to like twelve because Kevin Costner was filming a bunch here. Just looking at long-term what your plans are if you're going to boost the filming incentives because it seems like we've lost a lot of film work to other states that don't have caps and just bigger incentives. So just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, th- thanks, Aaron. Uh, w- with the the increase in the film incentives, we we should be able to be much more competitive and and do better in that sense. Um, right now, you, you mentioned the 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 increase, so we have twelve million in new film incentive last year for for rural total film incentives. Now for the state are approximately twenty four million, so that's that's a huge increase from the eight million that we had before. Washington County has actually established its own film incentive as well, and uh, you, you mentioned Kevin Costner is doing the the, the major film production called Horizon and has chosen Utah for that. We're really in a sweet spot because of our location, our proximity to Los Angeles, and of course our amazing landscapes. That's the thing that, that attracts most of the attention from the, the film industry. But because of these changes, um, we, we'll be much more competitive, and I think you'll see big films like like Costner's and others uh, coming back to Utah where we didn't get as many of those over the past few years. Uh, Governor, the first texter is asking, can Utah please get rid of daylight savings now that <laughs> saving now that uh, rather than wait for the federal federal government? To yeah, I, I wish. Look, we've, we've done a lot of work on this. Uh, the, the the majority of Utahns, I know it's a little divided. Uh, most people, by the way, want to get rid of it. I, I mean, they don't want to change times. Most Utahns, though, want to stay where we are now. So they want to spring forward and, and stay on on daylight savings time with the the uh, the, the more sun in the evenings. That requires the uh, the federal government to do something. We did pass a law a few years ago that if the federal government does adopt it, then we are automatically in. Or if I, I think it was like four other states uh, around us adopted as well, then then we can do it. But uh, so we're just waiting. Uh, the the Senate actually passed this last year, but the House never did. So I, I know they're still looking at it. I'm hopeful that Congress will do something and uh, we can get it done. It, it is possible if we wanted to buck the trend. And, uh, and and fall back and then stay there. So where it's lighter in the mornings, darker in the evenings, we do not need federal approval to uh, to do that. But there's not been an appetite in the legislature for that. And, and again, most Utahns want to stay with the uh, the light at the uh, at the end of the day. It's top of mind because we're all a little bit sleepy this uh, week. It's messed me up, I'm telling you. It's been a rough week. I, I have not slept all week. Monday was okay, but then Tuesday I was like, where am I? <laughs> we're dragging here. That's right. Okay. So Patrick is in Riverton. Let's take his call. Good Good afternoon, Patrick. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, I just had a question. Due to a change in state law, I got hit with a double escrow analysis this year in back-to-back months, which has increased my mortgage rate by over 7%, making my once affordable home a little more unfordable. Um, And the big reason for the escrow adjustment was property tax increases where 
my home is now worth infinitely more. So all of my local taxing entities get a revenue boost without having to raise taxes, and I'm stuck with the bill. Uh, I'm wondering if there's any plans on the state level to protect us from increasing home values, causing our mortgages to all of a sudden be unaffordable. Yeah, th- thank you for the question. So there there, there was not a, a change in state law that required that to happen. And, and I've explained this a few times on the show. I'm happy to do it again. Um, your your local entities did not get a revenue boost, even though yours went up. And this is, this is a misnomer about property taxes. What happens every year is whatever the amount that the, that the, the local entities got the year before, with one exception, I'll explain that in just a second, um, they get the same amount the next year. But what happens is as reevaluations are done on the value of property, it just gets divided up differently. Now, historically, what that meant was uh, if property values went up, usually business properties went up more than homeowner properties. And so even though they got the same amount, you would see kind of a flat or maybe even a little bit of a decrease that the next year. Uh, what, what happened because of COVID, which was very different um, for, for the first time really in our state's history, uh, uh, residential property the value of residential properties went up much faster than business properties. So at the end of the year, when they looked at, when they reevaluated everything and divided it by the, the values of the properties, uh, basically what happened was businesses paid less and uh, and residential properties paid a lot more. Again, this this hasn't happened before. This was kind of a new thing for the state, something we're not used to. And uh, it doesn't mean, though, that they got more money. Now, I said there was one exception to that. There was an exception made uh, for education for five years that allowed them to take advantage of, of increases in property values to get more funding at the local level for schools. That ended this this year and it was not renewed. We did not support renewing it. We wanted to make that end. So, th- so your local school district did get a bump uh, last year because your property values went up. That will not happen in the future. Now, I, I do want to say um, we-, we had tried to look at lowering a one-time uh, decrease in property taxes. The legislature did not end up supporting that, but they did end up supporting several other tax cuts. So we have an income tax cut, a huge uh, $200 million or $400 million income tax cut, uh, social security tax cuts uh, for, for everyone earning less than 75000 per year, tax credits for utilities for low-income families. We can remove the sales tax on food if, if Utah voters agree to that next year. We have cut taxes by $1.3 billion over the last recession. So even though you're paying a little bit more on, on the property tax side, I hope we're making up for it on all the other taxes. And, uh, and, and I sincerely hope that those property taxes will come back down as things balance out post-COVID. Mrs. Cox, you've been working on a number of initiatives. Tell us about your latest initiative and what's going on. Yeah, we're working really hard on um, a couple of different things, especially um, unified sports with the Special Olympics. We just had our uh, second annual um, state basketball tournament where we had kids from all over the state um, come and participate with their peers, athletes, unified athletes playing together with their peers. It was was a phenomenal success. Um, A couple other things that we're working on um, as it relates to foster care, really trying to push out a pilot program around around care communities and this is where um families uh, that have chosen to foster um, a child in in our state uh, then get surrounded by their friends and their neighbors and their congregations, their community with other families that are stepping in to lighten that burden. And so it's a couple of big projects that we've been working on lately. Marie, I do have to tell you, there is nothing more joyful than those unified sports events. So kids with disabilities and kids without disabilities, Mm -hmm. kids of all abilities 
playing together on teams, uh, just watching the joy on their faces. No, nobody cares about what the score is. They're they're just enjoying each other. It, it's it's moving and, and impactful, and reminds us of the things that are right with the world. Well, and it also what I will just add too that our when when schools implement this, it really does change the entire culture and atmosphere of that school. It really is a more inclusive, more kind, more compassionate um, place to be for everyone. Uh, we know we have heard from students that are the you know typically developing peers as well as the athletes that uh, both both of those groups of people are feeling. Um, just a, a joy and a love and a, just a life-changing experience for, for all of them as well as parents. Yeah. How many schools have come on board? So we started about a year and a half ago with about 30 schools participating. We're up to close to 200 now. Um, we'd love, we're, we're looking at Southern Utah. We're looking at rural Utah. Those are the places we want to uh, go next to make sure that they have it. It's a little more difficult with transportation and those kinds of things, but um, we're working through that and people are willing to, to just adapt it as best they can to their school and, and how it works for them. And um, it's just been really successful. If parents or schools want to find out more information, how to get involved, how would they do that? Showuputah.org or you can go to um, SOUT, that's Special Olympics Utah, um, and they're, they're, they'll help and we'll reach out to our organization or Special Olympics and we'll get it going. All right. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us, 57500. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let, Let Me, Me Speak, Speak to, to the, the governor. governor on KSL News Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Cox, and the First Lady is with us today. Abby Cox in studio as well. You can ask her questions as well. Let's get back to our phone lines. James been, has been waiting in Provo. Good afternoon, James. What is your question? Well, good afternoon, Maria and Governor and First Lady. I, Governor, I think I read where maybe yesterday or someday you signed over 200 uh, bills into law, and I'm just wondering, did you actually physically hand sign them, or do you have a stamp, like an electronic stamp, to do that many? Well, James, thanks for the the question. Um, we we do sign them. The lieutenant governor and I sign them by hand, every single one, and uh, we we also review every single bill. And so during the legislative session, of course, for forty five days, the legislature uh, passes as many bills as they can in that time. And this year, they passed a record number five hundred and seventy five bills. And I get twenty days after the session to sign all of them. So so basically, uh, just one day less than three weeks, and it's. It's a very busy time. So even though the legislature now, they're all on vacation, they're on a beach somewhere, I'm still in the middle of the legislative session. Next Thursday, I think, is the the last day for me to sign bills. And we start reviewing them uh, right after the session. So uh, it ends on a Friday. By Monday, Tuesday, we're in the review process. But they, they have to be enrolled. There's a process they actually have to go through to get us physically get us the bills and it takes them about a week to actually get me the physical copies of the bills so what we did the reason we we did not review 200 bills in one day that uh, we, we try to give them as much attention as we can we usually do about maximum of maybe 60 in a day but even that's a little much and so we had been reviewing them for a week and then we got the giant stack of bills and so for for about an hour i just sit and sign the ones that we had already reviewed and that's why we we had such a big number 
Okay, so where are you? How many do you have left? So we've got about, we've got 99 left to review, and, and I think I have maybe 180 left to sign, so okay. we're still we're still catching up. So any of those on the edge where you might not sign them? You know, they they, there's, them? we, I had 35 to 40 bills on my veto list during the session, and all of, every single one of those either didn't pass, um, just died, got voted down, or was changed substantially uh, to where we, we could support it. So I ended up with zero on my list. Now, we've had a couple requests uh, coming in to veto bills. We put those in a pile, and uh, we, we spend a little more time with those making a decision. But I don't have anything right now that I'm, I'm for sure planning to veto. The state made national news today over the abortion clinic ban that you signed. It's not actually an it's a ban of abortions in clinics. All abortions now have to be performed in hospitals. Right. Or, or me- medical clinics. There, there is an opportunity. There, there's a, under the statute, um, I, I, an abortion clinic could meet the standards to become a, a medical clinic if, if they wanted to do that. Uh, but the, the, uh, the four abortion clinics do not meet that standard right now in the state of Utah. So in, in, in basically a, a year from now, those would be closing. Okay. Any impacts on rural communities as a result of closing? These no, places? because none, none of those clinics were in rural areas. They were all uh, in, in northern Utah, uh, close to the Wasatch Front. So no, no impacts there. Um, women there would be going to hospitals anyway to receive that care. And, and this was a bill that was actually requested by the medical community uh, to, to get more assurances around what is legal and what is not legal. Under the trigger ban that was, that was passed a few years ago when Governor Herbert was, was governor, the, uh, the, it was a little fuzzy. And so even in cases of rape, incest, and abortion, we had medical providers that were hesitant to provide uh, abortions in those cases. So this bill clarifies all of those things and will actually make legal abortions uh, easier to perform because there's that clarity now. Okay, back to our phone lines. David is in Leighton. Good afternoon, David. What is your question? Taking my call. Thanks for taking my call, Governor and First Lady. You're both awesome, and thanks for your service. Thank you. The uh, the the shortage of water. Would the state consider purchasing agriculture land or business to help conserve and save? Yeah, yeah D- David. Thank you. So I, I don't think the state would would consider at least right now purchasing agriculture land but but let me tell you what we are doing um so we have set aside money to purchase water rights as they become available uh, and or to lease those water rights as they become available uh that that's a big change which made the announcement by the church actually possible we could not have done that a a year ago and and you're going to see more announcements from this and and in fact what they're changing the entire incentive structure so the idea is let me give you an example. Um, so, so maybe uh, in some places there there's a farmer who could get four crops of of, of hay or, or whatever it is that that they're growing. Right um, now, th- maybe that fourth crop isn't usually a great crop. The first two are great. Third's a little dicey, and they they work for four. Sometimes they get one. Sometimes they don't. Now, instead of even trying for that fourth crop, you you could partially lease that water, and so let that water on the fourth crop go down to the Great Salt Lake. Um, those. Those are the types of changes we're working on. And then again, as, as, as more water rights come up, we can purchase those or lease those that really will make a difference without us having to actually own the land, the, the, the property or the, the ag operation. We also have $200 million this year. We did $70 million last year for ag optimization that will uh, allow farmers and ranchers a matching grant to uh, to to 
really improve their operations in a way that will will lessen the amount of water that they're using to get more of that to the end of the row as well. So th- we're going to do that. We're going to see how, how we do with that. And uh, if, if that works, great. If it doesn't, we'll go back to the drawing board and, and look at w- other things that we can do. Governor, next listener has a question about monies that go to private and charter schools in comparison to public schools. And they're asking, why do private and charter school students get almost double that of public schools? They're wondering how we could hand out so many, so much money for profit school system and how is that fair to taxpayers? Sure. So we get this question a lot and, and, and it's, it's, it's not accurate. What, what they're referring to is the weighted pupil unit. And, and yes, the amount that would go in these instances would be more than the weighted pupil unit, but that's not all the taxpayer money that goes to schools. That's only a small portion of that. Um, I, I believe the, the estimates now are that the average student overall when it comes to property taxes and, and, and local taxes and, and state uh, the WPU and all these other functions the average student gets about $10,000 per pupil um, uh, under the uh, uh, under the voucher bill that passed those students would get uh, would get significantly less than that. I think it's about $8,000 and so there is a, a difference and, and the reason it's done that way is to not take money away from from local schools if if a, if a student decides not to go there they would only lose the wpu they wouldn't use those other pieces of funding as well and so that's that's why that decision was made uh, i, I want to point out that again the, the charter school piece of this uh, or, or excuse me the private school piece of this uh it's about 45 million dollars and uh, i think we approved like 700 million dollars in new funding this year for education this was the best year for public education in our state's history and there's really not a close second uh we have uh we have six thousand dollars per teacher in 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 additional compensation package this year we have a a wpu increase of six percent uh we have uh optional all-day kindergarten that got funded uh we we have again more funding for k through 12 schools don't listen to people who are saying this was a terrible year for public ed It, it is not true this was an amazing year for public education Okay, Travis is on the line in Salt Lake City. And good afternoon, Travis. What is your question? Hi, thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Governor. Um, I think I just want to kind of wrap my head around. Last year, you vetoed the transgender sports bill, and you were quoted saying, when in doubt, however, I always try to err on the the side of kindness, mercy, and compassion. But then signing the bill to take away the trans kids health care that i'm just i'm just lost in it if you could clarify that'd be great yeah, thanks, Travis. We've been asked this question a lot. I'm happy to uh, to answer again. Um, you, you'll remember, of course, that uh, that th- that bill last year um, on the last night of the session was changed dramatically without a public process, without a public hearing. And uh, I, in that five page veto letter that I issued that you read from, I talked about how terrible that process was and, and unfortunate that process was. Um, this this is very different, and, and it's different in in, in lots of ways. Um, sadly, in the United States. States, we can't even have this conversation and talk about it because it is so polarized when it comes to uh, it, it. We're not taking health care away. Uh, I, I just want to be very clear about that. What 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 is happening is there is a pause that has been placed until more research can be done around these very risky and dangerous surgeries 
and uh, the, uh, the the medications, the hormone blockers that we are giving kids. As and and there is very little research that has been done on this. Um, if you look at other places where this isn't such a culture war issue, such a polarizing issue, and and I can give you I can give you several examples of this. If you look at if you look at at, at Sweden, uh, Norway uh, j- just recently, um, Finland. Uh, if you look at some of the debate that's happening in France right now and the UK, they are all looking at this and saying, well, we've made a huge mistake. Um, the, the one study that they were using was a Dutch study. It was a very narrow study. It, it does not even compare with what's happening right now. And they're saying, we... we we could be doing long-term damage to to young people with severe mental health issues as well and we are they they are all pushing pause they they're saying this is a mistake we've got to do more research and figure this out and so there is good science or actually a lack of good science behind this decision and and why and so the legislature actually did it the right way this year. They went through many public hearings. Uh, they started this actually in the in, in the fall. Um, got got a lot of input, and so it, it, I, I do believe that it is appropriate to push pause on this and, and make sure that we're not doing long term harm to our young people. It has nothing to do with adults. Um, once once kids are eighteen, then they can make that decision for themselves. But as their brains are still forming, um, and and many of them are struggling with with uh, unrelated or, or sometimes related mental health issues uh, let's work on those and uh, and and make sure that we're delivering additional care this is another important piece what i did advocate for was increased funding uh, for mental health care for our lgbtq community i appreciate the legislature stepping up in, in, in a big way and helping that that doesn't get reported i also have to say again this this is another piece that that was barely reported the legislature unanimously passed a a, a, a ban on conversion therapy um, which is just re- Remarkable uh, to, to think about again in a very red state, a legislature that is willing to do that. And so I, I believe that the legislature balanced these issues much better this year than they did last year. And that's why you would, you would see a difference. All right. Thanks for your call. We're going to take a break. Come back with more of your calls. Number to call 801-575-8255. You can text us 57500. Get your questions answered. By the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let, Let Me Speak, speak to, to the, the governor. governor on KSL News Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Governor Spencer Cox and Mrs. Cox. Abby Cox is in studio with us as well. You can call and ask questions of her as well. Okay, you guys are watching the brackets. How's your bracket doing, Governor? Not great, but <laughs> wow. I just, uh, the, Furman stills the ball down two with seven seconds left and hits a three uh, to win it. What this is this is the great stuff. Uh, I, I don't care about my bracket. I just want good games. I, I only care about one game, and I know Abby does too. Yeah, we got to see those Aggies win today. We've they're they're down uh, four points here at half, but um, they're going to come back. I, I believe I'm a true believer. True believer in the Aggies. They're gonna they're gonna make us proud today. Yep, we just got to get Ashworth going in the second half, and we'll be just fine. Uh, right. Just fine. We're we're also big fans though of the the Lady Utes uh, having an amazing year. Uh, we we've been to a couple of their games. They're incredible. Coach Roberts is the best. Top ten team, and they play. Yeah, we're Friday. we're really excited. And not only do they play amazing basketball, and and are they they are just stellar humans, and uh, we. Our show up initiative had the opportunity to partner with them um, to display our, you know, uh, talk about our unified athletes and our unified athletes were able to be honorary coaches and, and the team is just 
doing amazing things on and off the court. That was a fun game. And I got to watch you and I got to watch uh, just the wonderful di- display they did. Um, uh, the video that they showed was really awesome, too. So Yeah, we're, we're, we're really proud of our youths. Okay, they've just been fun to watch. I just have to say that. I mean, talk about a team that came from nowhere and just has just done fabulously all awesome. Yeah, yeah, they really are fun to watch. I, I, I just have to say, if you like good basketball, they play really good basketball. Those women are aggressive. They're they're great. They're fun, yeah. spunky. They've got a lot of energy. So, yeah, fun to watch. Okay, back to our callers. Let's see. John is on the line in Ogden. Uh, good afternoon. John, what was your question? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Governor. Um, I'm just wondering if you're aware of the extreme burden financially the medical cannabis is put on as patient holders. It is costing almost a thousand dollars a month for most people to fill this prescription and it is becoming unaffordable. Well, I know many people have went back to pharmaceuticals and drinking for the pain. And everybody I've talked to from out of state, I know a lot of people says the only way they can afford it is either they are able to cultivate it or have a caretaker give it. Now, I cannot afford $100,000 over 10 years to get off painkillers. Is there any reprieve for us medical patients that just cannot afford it? Because it is too much if you are making minimum wage or if you're making 100000 a year. John, th- thank you for the, the question. And I, I, I am aware of the uh, of the extreme costs. So let, let me just share a couple thoughts. Um, the, the, one of the problems we have is that medical cannabis is still illegal under federal law. And, and even though it's legal in most states now, and that creates I- incredible challenges to make it more difficult for p- some patients to afford medical cannabis. We would love to see a change at the federal level. And we're hoping that that will, that will happen. Um, it, it causes problems from banking with regular banks. They're unable to write off certain expenses that are taxes like other businesses can. Um, prices would definitely lower if the federal law was changed to allow cannabis businesses to write off certain expenses on their taxes. Now, there are nonprofit entities uh, that offer subsidies for medical cannabis to low-income patients. So to, to, to reduce the cost of medical cannabis, these, these entities, uh, one of them is called Utah Patients Coalition, have stepped up to help low-income patients, some like yourself, by covering all or some of the cost of medical cannabis products and, and those provider visits. So I would encourage you to, to reach out. Um, you can Google Utah Patients Coalition, and, uh, and, and there, there is help available. Next listener wants to know what you are doing to prevent ESG and digital currency in Utah. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So the, on the ESG side, uh, there were four bills that were passed this year. And uh, so this is the, the kind of the trend that we're seeing where, where companies are are forcing or, or or investing their money in uh, in in businesses or, or causes that may not bring a, a return uh, but are they, they do it for environmental or, or social r- reasons and uh, and and these businesses are trying to force government to do those types of things as well and that's where we've seen pushback here in the state of Utah so uh, I, I would encourage you to look at those four bills um, I think I've signed all four of them now so uh, they they are out and uh, you can learn more about what the state is doing to uh, to push back um the treasurer is also uh, treasurer marlo oaks is also very involved in pushing back on some of these esg uh r- regulations also just signed a, a letter to uh to president biden to push back on some of the federal esg regulations that are being promulgated governor we have just two minutes left so i'm going to try and just ask you these questions maybe we can get a few okay. of these through very quickly uh, what can be done to better enforce license plate expiration dates uh i don't 
that's a good question. I guess uh, we uh, police officers, people. That's that's <laughs> what they do. So that's that's kind of their job. We we do send you a, 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 an email or or a card in the mail to to remind you. Yeah. Uh, where do you stand on killing mountain lions? I guess there's the hunting bill. That's- yeah, yeah. So we are in the process of reviewing that. Um, Idaho has had something like this in place for a long time. So we're looking at what's happened in Idaho to see if it's if it's had a major impact or not. And uh, I'll be I'll be looking at either signing that bill or not next week. Uh, what is the impact of last year's Utah Railway project on the state? Uh, last year's Utah Railway project. I'm assuming this is referring to the, the basin project. Um, that's still moving forward Michael, this is from ogden this caller okay uh well we we had the the, the wonderful historic uh, signing a couple years ago of the uh of, of the golden spike um reenactment and and uh some some things there i'm not sure if that's what hmm. they're referring to or not but uh good it's things happening around all of around here. railroads in the state how about uh when will we shift all utah refineries to tier three gas uh, they should be close. Um, they're uh, they're all in process. I, I don't know when the last one will be complete, but I know we're getting close. Okay. Uh, one of these uh, texters is asking about training programs. We talk about all the jobs that are open, but yeah. people aren't qualified for them. And they're wondering about what why... Uh, employers don't offer more training programs. Well, we, we are offering more, and the state is offering more. The, the, we we passed legislation last year and more funding this year for uh, for training for businesses. Uh, you, you can look. Uh, we, we often do th- do that through our, our universities, our tech colleges. Uh, Salt Lake Valley Community College has a lot of those training programs, and so and and more and more companies are offering them as well. Governor, thanks. We're out of time. Thank you, Maria. Mrs. Cox, thanks for being here today and joining in on the conversation. Thank you so much. And we'll we'll. Uh, We'll see you all next, well, we'll hear from you all next month. Have a great day. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.